Morning. Happy Sabbath. I want to thank Pastor John for the invitation to speak this morning. Before we dive into God's Word, I just want to share with you just a little bit about some of the things that God is doing right here on this campus. I'm sure some of you are aware, but we are going to begin construction and renovation immediately after camp meeting this summer on our boys' dormitory. Can I get an amen at least? <laughs> um, we are going to be renovating 55 rooms completely with all new carpet, furniture, windows, sinks, countertops. We'll be completely renovating the bathrooms as well as the lobby, hallways, and a new chapel. And I praise God for this. It is because of the generosity of donors and our own Upper Columbia Conference that this is going to become a reality. And I also want to share with you that this summer we will be able, through the generous generosity of a donor, to purchase Two new-to-us coaches for our school. The last buses have served us well, but they're about 10 years old to us. Actually, they're 1991, 1992 models. And so we're going to be able to upgrade to to two new um, buses that we'll be able to use for our transportation. I praise God for this. It's amazing how quickly this school year has gone by. It seems like it was just yesterday where my wife and I with Blake and Bree, we're packing the moving truck in 112-degree temperatures in Fresno, California, headed to the Pacific Northwest. And I can share with you that it is a joy and has been a wonderful year this year to interact with an amazing, an amazing faculty and students here at UCA. And I look forward to seeing what God is going to do in this church and through this campus for his honor and his glory next year. You'll bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, Father, I ask that your spirit will descend into this place. Father, take away any thought in our minds that would distract us from hearing your voice. And may we leave here, Lord, more committed than ever to serving you radically, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. I have a question for you this morning, and I have a challenge. What is your God-given dream, and are you pursuing it with reckless abandon? There's a book I've been reading. It's called Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. It's actually where the, the sermon title was derived from today, and it's greatly impacted my life. I want you to turn me in, in your Bibles, if you can, again, to our scripture reading for today. Second Samuel. Chapter 23, verse 20. It's an obscure text that it's easy as you're reading through here, just go along and and not really grab the magnitude and the depth of this. 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 20. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now you wonder, why was he added on a snowy day? Does anyone chase after a lion to kill it? Isn't it typical that we would run from a lion? If I see a lion on a path that I'm walking on? Am I going to chase that lion 
valiantly to try and kill that lion in the snow where I could slip and fall? Probably not. Unless one thing is evident in my life. Unless I am so in tune to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in my life, and I have taken time with Him to where it's unmistakable that God is calling me to chase after that lion. Then I need to do it with reckless abandon. What about us? What about this church? What about Upper Columbia Academy? What about me? Are we radically living for Jesus Christ? Or are we simply going through the motions? A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel down to San Francisco. And I went to a conference, a development conference there for a few days. Quite boring, actually, but that's okay. And at the end of the conference, I was headed back to, um, I was flew into Oakland because it was a cheaper flight from here to Oakland on Southwest. And I got in the hotel and I thought I was going to try something new. Instead of just getting a taxi, I was going to do something that I had not done before and I was going to get an Uber. And um, so a friend of mine, a friend of mine actually had an account. I didn't realize that you don't just pick up and call an Uber. You have to have an account, and it's all prepaid. It's all done over your phone. And so they set this up for me, and they called an Uber, and I was able to watch the car as it came to my hotel there in San Francisco. And exactly right, they got there. They picked me up, and we started heading to Oakland Airport, which is about a 20-minute drive from downtown San Francisco without any traffic. And as we get in the car, I get in the front seat, and this guy's there in the driver. We make small talk for a little bit. And then he turns to me and he asks me a question. And he looks right in my eyes. He says, are you a Christian? And it took me back by surprise. Because San Francisco is one of the most secularized cities in North America, if not the world. So I'm driving here with this guy sitting there. And he asks me a question. Then my mouth almost drops open. And I, I, I gasp. And I say, well, yes, I am. And his lies light up. His face lights up. And he says, I am too. And, and he starts to share with me his story. He starts to tell me how his family had transitioned from Pakistan. How he was a Muslim. And as he came here to the America, a friend connected him to Jesus Christ. And over a period of time, he became a Christian. And we talked nonstop the whole way to the Oakland airport. About what it means to be a father of Christ. And as we got out, I felt impressed to ask him. I said, can I pray with you? And so we sat there in his car before I got out to go to my flight. And I simply had a prayer with this gentleman. I don't know if I'll ever see him again this side of heaven. But as I got out, some words that he shared with me cut me to my very core as I sat on the plane flying back here to Spokane. He shared with me as I was leaving, he said, You know, as a Christian, every single day, I count it a joy to be able to share Christ with everybody that rides with me if I can. And I had to ask myself a really tough question. Am I doing all I can for Christ? 
You see, I believe that somehow, some way, I possibly have bought into a terrible lie. This lie is this concept that all God wants of us as Christians is to simply smile and be loving. I believe it is greatly damaging the advancement of the cause of Christ and it creates timid, weak, name-only Christians. If we are going to pursue Christ totally and completely, and if we're going to chase the God-given dream that he's put in our lives, we must be willing to recklessly stand for him no matter the cost and share him at any opportunity we have. Now, don't get me wrong. We still need to do it in a loving and kind manner. It doesn't need to be sick. It doesn't need to be ugly. Turn me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For your Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. If we are willing to simply be bold for Christ, he is going to give us the strength. He's going to give us everything we need to accomplish that goal in us and through us for his glory. I believe now more than ever, God's people need to take this scripture to heart. And apply it to our daily lives. We are living in a society that increasingly vilifies individuals who are courageous enough to stand up for biblical truth. The postmodern cultural relativism has permeated our church at an alarming rate. While we must always speak and act with Christian love, we must not, we cannot shy away from proclaiming the truth that God has given our last day remnant church. When a church or a school, for that matter, begins to lose its identity, it no longer becomes special, but ordinary. God is not desiring a generation of ordinary to finish the work, but rather he is calling and longing for a group of people, both young and old, that will courageously stand for him no matter the cost. What if we, as a church, as a school, decided to fully live out and explore what God's given dream is for this campus in 2017. What what might it look like? What if we led by example? And we, I mean we as a collective church family right here, and we modeled and showed to the students across the street that we are done with just simply going through the church, going through the motions, that we're done with simply playing church, that we, the Spangle Seventh-day Adventist Church, are done with business as usual. What might happen? You see, I believe that students are longing for a church that is transparent, that is real. A church where people do not walk into the front door, put a mask on, and pretend they are somebody they are not, and then leave and become somebody else. Many years ago, well, not many, I guess about six years ago, seven years ago, my family and I were living in, <clears throat> in College Hill, Tennessee. And I distinctly remember this. 
is seared in my mind. It was a Sabbath morning, a typical Sabbath morning. We had gotten up and we were going through our day, getting ready for church. And in the middle of our preparations, I had said something ugly to my wife, to Trish. And then she got upset at me. And the rest of that morning, that anger just kind of built. And we went through that morning, frustrated each other. We were yelling at each other, yelling at the kids, telling Blake to get ready. Hurry up, you're late. And we rushed together. We hopped in the minivan. And we drive from our home all the way down to McDonald Road Church in complete silence. Didn't say a word to anybody. We pull into the parking lot. We pull up. We get out. We slam the door. And we walk to the front of the church. And as I walk in the front of the church, the greeter opens the door and he says, Happy Sabbath with a smile. And my, my face lights up. And I say, Happy Sabbath. He's like, How are you? I'm like, I'm great. And Bree is standing right there. And she looks at me. And she shakes her head and walks down to her Sabbath school class. You see, I fear, I fear as I've had the opportunity to speak and to talk to youth all over this country, I hear the number one thing that drives them away from our church, and that is the lack of transparency. This, this, this feeling like we, we just need to fake it, like we need to pretend that we're somebody we're not, that it's, that it's wrong somehow to accept mistakes, that we need to, to build ourselves up in a fake manner. What if UCA was known not first for their academics, not first for their music, not first for their sports, but rather first for the way we are changing the world in the name of Jesus Christ. We must chase the lion. We must not be comfortable with entering this summer, this summer, in the same fashion we have entered every other summer. We must. It is time we as students, as faculty, as parents, as grandparents, as teachers, ask the question, am I giving all for the glory of Christ? What impossible dream have we been sitting on because we have been told that it's too hard or too big or too radical? If our dreams are not big enough to scare us, then they're too small. What if spaces were created On this campus, where kids, where they lay in their dorm rooms at night, and they're crying out to God, what is my God-given dream? What if we created spaces on this campus, safe spaces, where kids could explore that and expand on that and find out what God is asking of them? What if our athletic teams were so sold out to Jesus Christ that instead of just wanting to go to an away game on a Saturday night, that we, we, we scheduled a game, we scheduled and left Friday, and we performed the whole church service on a, on a church locally to where the game was. What if our choir, our band, went out to local area churches on a Sunday and ministered through music and shared what a Seventh-day Adventist Christian looks like and is? What if our students approached the administration of Liberty High School and said, could we have a student-led Bible study during lunchtime, completely voluntary, on your campus. What might happen? These are just some ideas. But what might happen if we said we're done with business as usual? Now, I want to be clear. In order for God to fully 
and completely live out what he wants to see happen in us both individually and corporately. We must. Sinful bridges. God will never be able to bless us, both individually or corporately, if we continue to waller in the pit of known sin. The beauty of being a Christian is that we serve a God who is more powerful than the strongest sin you're entangled in. He longs to set you free in him. If we're going to fully chase the dream that God has given to us, we cannot believe the lie that somehow we just have to live in this nastiness and God is not big enough to deliver us. We must be a church, a school, a place where it's not just okay to have safe, acceptable sins. Sins such as pride and anger and selfishness. Sins where we pat each other on the back and we say, yeah, I'm still struggling. Yeah, me too. And we continue on. We must be a place where it's okay to have socially unacceptable sins, ugly sins, but sins that are destroying God's people and God's church at their very core. We must be a place where it's okay to talk about that, to discuss it, where it's safe to say, yeah, I'm struggling with this. I'm hurting here. And where we as God's people can come together and we can nurture and uplift in the name of Jesus Christ. That must happen. I believe there are certain moments in life where you have to decide who you are, what you stand for. People need to know that we stand for something, not that we're just against everything. I personally have grown up in a church for much of my life where it seemed we're more important with the color of a person's hair, the length of their skirt, the style of the music, or the food that they ate than whether they knew Jesus Christ at all. As long as we just simply look the part, that's all that mattered. I'm here to tell you this morning that if we're going to chase God's dream and chase the lion, then we must be willing to courageously stand for him no matter the cost. We must stop focusing on the externals and start falling on our knees. When we do that, the externals will take care of themselves. Now, I want to be careful here. If you're a parent, we're not throwing the dress code away at UCA. Just need to know that. We need to realize that to take a courageous stand for Christ may mean that we endure hardship, loss of friends, loss of a job, or even the loss of your life. God does not promise that standing up for what you're convicted will be easy. But he does promise to be there right beside you all the way. The name Edmund G. Ross is probably not familiar to many people here outside of Mr. Spano and Pastor Sid. When Ross entered the Senate in 1866, he was considered the man to watch. He seemed destined to surpass his colleagues, but he tossed it all away with one courageous act of conscience. Let me set the stage for you. Conflict was dividing our government in the wake of the Civil War. President Andrew Johnson was determined to follow Lincoln's policy of reconciliation toward the defeated South. Congress, however, wanted to rule 
the downtrodden Confederate states with an iron hand. Congress decided to strike first. Shortly after Senator Ross was seated, the Senate introduced impeachment proceedings against the hated president. The radicals calculated that they needed 36 votes, and they smiled as they concluded that the 36th was none other than Ross. The new senator listened to this vigilante talk, but to the surprise of many, he declared that the president served as fair a trial as any accused man has ever had on earth. The word immediately went out that his vote was shaky. Ross received an avalanche of anti-Johnson telegrams from every section of the country. Radical senators badgered him to come to his senses. The fateful day of the vote arrived. The courtroom galleries were packed. Tickets for admission were at an enormous premium. As a death-like stillness fell over the Senate chamber, the vote began. One by one, the votes came in. By the time they reached Ross, 24 guilty had already been announced. Eleven more were certain. Only Ross's vote was needed to impeach the President of the United States. Chief Justice could not handle his emotion. And he said in a trembling voice, Mr. Senator Ross, how vote you? Ross later explained, at that moment I looked into my open grave. Friendships, fortune, position, everything that makes life desirable to an ambitious man were about to be swept away with one breath of my mouth, perhaps forever. Then the answer came, unhesitating, unmistakable, not guilty. With that, the trial was over, and the response was as predicted. A high public official from Kansas wired Ross to say, Kansas repudiates you, as she does all perjurers and skunks. The open grave vision had become a reality. Ross's political career was in ruins. Extreme ostracism and even physical attack awaited his family upon their return home. One gloomy day, Ross turned to his faithful wife and said, Millions cursing me today will bless me tomorrow. Though not by God, that no not but God can know the struggle this has cost me. It was a prophetic declaration. Twenty years later, Congress and the Supreme Court verified the wisdom of his position by changing the laws regarding impeachment. Ross was appointed territorial governor of New Mexico. Then, just prior to his death, he was awarded a special pension by Congress. The press and the country took the opportunity to honor his courage. They finally concluded has saved our country from crisis and division. You see, this morning, I believe we are in a battle that is far greater than the survival of our great country. We are living in the final moments of the great controversy between good and evil. The entire universe is watching with anticipation as events play out before us in our very eyes. 
just as the case was with Senator Ross, it will seem that all have sided against God and his kingdom. The pressure to vote with the majority will be great unless we vow in our hearts to stand with Christ and for the right, no matter the cost, we will be swept away with the current of pressure to conform to the will of the majority. I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes from Ellen White. It's in her book, Education. Now, the one I'm going to share with you this morning, you've probably not heard it quite this way before, so bear with me. And I hope you will take the time to personalize it as well. The greatest want of the world is the want of Upper Columbia Academy students. Students who will not be bought or sold. Students who in their innermost souls are true and honest. Students who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Students whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Students who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. In closing, I want to share with you. Many of you who know me well know that I love sports. I, I play many sports. Um, the, the intramural sport that we're playing right now is softball. And in Southern, I, I love playing on softball teams. I, I, was, I was a base hitter. I would get up, and I would, I would try and single or maybe a double to get on base so that people like Coach Geddes could get up and hit me in, and, and they could hit the home runs. And, and I did my best to, to do that. Um, and I, I liked it. I liked that. Yeah, I, I could just hit singles. And I was happy with base. But, you know, I thought about it, and I had to ask myself a question. Is that how I'm living my Christian life? Am I simply just hitting singles? Am I content with just getting on base when God is desiring to have a home run slugger? You see, the difference between me playing softball and the Christian walk is that when I get up to bat, I'm the one swinging that bat. There's no one else. But when we walk with Christ, he swings the bat. When Blake was tiny, when Blake was, was just two, I had a little wiffle ball bat, and Trish would be out in the yard, and I can remember distinctly that we'd be out there, and he could barely walk, and I had a bat in his hands. And I was out there, and I'd take his tiny hands, and I'd put them on there, and then I'd put my hands on top of his, and I'd be standing behind him, and Trish would pitch it, and I would swing the bat, and we would hit it, and Blake would scream as he would run and try to run all over the place to first base. Now, Blake's grown, and now he hits it further than I do. But that's what God wants to do. He will take his hands if we simply allow him. He will wrap them on top of ours. And all he asks of us is to simply stand in the batter's box and let him swing the bat. And then if we do that, we will be hitting monstrous grand slam home runs for his honor and his glory. But too often, I feel, at least in my own life, I get up there and I'm like, okay, God, here, you can place your hands here and I'll place my hands here and let's do this thing together. And when I do that, I end up hitting a single maybe and are striking out. It's only 
if we give him complete control of the bat, that we're going to be able to live out what he wants to see in our lives, both individually and on this campus. The question is this morning, will we let him? Will we let go of our fear of failure? Our fear of what others might think. It's time we stop playing it safe. It's time we start chasing the lion. Guess I have the benediction as well. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity we've had this morning to dive into what you want to see through us, Father. Lord, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Lord, if we've been holding on to a dream that we thought was too crazy or too big, Lord, help us by your glory, help us by your grace to pursue that, Father. Guide us through this day. Thank you so much for your love. In your name I pray. Amen. If you remain seated, the ushers will dismiss you.